Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We need you to touch us, Lord God, to strengthen us, to anoint our minds, Lord God. We thank you for what you're going to do, Lord God. We praise and magnify you. Father, we ask you right now to touch us, anoint us, Lord God. We thank you right now, Lord God. I praise you. Touch our Sunday school, Lord God. Strengthen them, Lord God, each and every one, Lord God. Anoint our minds, our hearts, Lord God, that we may receive and understand, Lord God, I pray. Thank you right now in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me. We'll just read uh, for a place to start in the book of First uh, Peter in chapter 2, verse 9. It's where we'll start at. He says a lot here. The apostle does. But First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. He's telling the church. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. In time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which, have, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You may be seated. The apostle tells us a lot in this very... Verse we read, he says, "You are a chosen generation." Now, I don't, I don't believe he means that we are predestined; that everyone is predestined. For the Lord has said, "Is to whosoever will," and I believe that's to each and every person. For the Lord calleth to us all. He said, "That I, my spirit goeth out." He said, "Whoever would respond to my voice," he said, "But you are a chosen generation." And I believe that generation is the ones that would respond to the voice that is called unto them. He said, you are a royal priesthood. And that statement right there is a lot right there, a royal priesthood. He said, you are a holy nation. He said, not that you would be. He just simply says, you are a holy nation. And then he said, you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he tells us, he says, times past you weren't a people, but now you are a people. He says, we have this opportunity that has been given unto us, that we have this because we are God's chosen, royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Now, what I want to do is go all the way back to the first time this is mentioned. So, if you want to turn or just read on the screen, I'm going to go all the way back to Exodus 19. This is where the Lord tells through, through Moses. He tells Moses, come and meet me on the mount. And he tells him, he's, in Exodus 19, 
Here's where we read what the Lord tells Moses. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called on him out of the mountain, saying, Thus thou shalt say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be uh, shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And he told them, he said, he told Moses, he said, you go tell the children of Israel that you have seen with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. You have, you have been there. You went there. You've been there long enough. I brought you out and you seen with your own eyes what I've done to them. And then the Lord had said, and how I bear you on eagle's wings. There was some that said this statement cannot be true for the eagle does not bear their young on their back. And everything I could find about this statement, this is what I found out. And some has even said that this is not even pertaining to eagles. This is pertaining to another bird. But all I have is, like I've said before, all I have is the Word of God, so that's what I'm going to go with. And the Bible says how I bear you on eagles' wings. So this is what I found out. The eagle will take their young, and they will bear them in a nest. And as they grow in that nest, as they grow, the nest is comfortable to them. As they grow in size... They get bigger and bigger. The nest will actually get smaller to them. Where the nest doesn't change, the eagle is getting bigger. And what the, the, the parents will do is slowly they will start taking the straw and everything that is comfortable in the nest out. So the eagle will start uh, getting uncomfortable in the nest. What seemed like home to them after a while will seem uncomfortable. It won't seem like home anymore. So the the baby eagle will start getting out and looking on the edge of the rocks or tree, looking down and realize sooner or later, <laughs> i got to take this leap. And then finally one day the eagle gets up enough nerve to take the leap. And all the while the parent, probably the mother, I'm not leaving the father out, but probably the mother eagle is standing there flying around watching the eagle. But what literally happens is before the eagle hits the ground, the mother eagle literally comes up under the eagle and catches this eagle. We know this for a fact. Catches the eagle in its wings and literally does not let the eagle fall. Now, we know this. So God said, I bear you on eagle's wings. And this analogy says, sooner or later, you had to leave Egypt. That wasn't home. Don't feel comfortable in Egypt. Some have just said they, they left Egypt, but they still had Egypt in them. God said, get that out of your system. I bore you on eagles. You thought you was fallen, 
But I'm not going to let you hit the ground. And I bore you on eagle's wings. You seen with your own eyes what I did to Egyptians. And he says, he took and he bore them up. So literally, before the eagle hits the ground, the mother would come in, or I'm not excusing the father, the eagle will come in and catch the, the baby before it hits the ground and rescue the baby. That's what happens. And this is what God told them. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings, but this is the statement, and brought you unto myself. And that was the thing. God said, I didn't just catch you. I didn't, I ain't just rescuing you. I'm bringing you unto myself. And that was the statement that I was reading that day that it just really changed the way I looked about Peter walking on the water. Cause I've told you that is what I missed for so long. For at the end of that statement where Peter walked on the water, the last statement that I, the last few words that I missed was to come to Jesus. I missed everything. For years I made that about walking on the water. It was not about walking on the water. It was Peter walked on the water to go to the Lord. And God said, I bore you on eagle's wings to bring you unto me. It wasn't just about taking a ride. God said, I'm taking you somewhere. I'm taking you to me. I'm taking you to the land of promise that you've heard about for so long. I'm bringing you unto me. I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. And then he says, if you will obey my voice... And what was that voice? That voice was coming to them through Moses. For that was the mouthpiece of God. He said, if you will obey my voice. And then he said, if you will do that. And then he said, you would be. And then if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure. You shall be a special treasure unto me above all people for the earth, for the earth is mine. And I don't think he was talking about the dirt. For the earth, for all the people, is mine. God said, I chose you, and you responded to me. That's why I don't think this is nothing about predestination. God chose you, and you responded to that voice. You heard the voice of God speaking to you. And when he when He um, called unto you, and you answered, that is a peculiar treasure. God said, you are the treasure that I have seeking. And he told Israel this. That's what I read to you in First in Peter. God said, we are a peculiar treasure unto the Lord. God has called a lot of people that hadn't answered. I believe that. God has called and called, but they wouldn't answer. But God said, you have answered. You shall be a chosen people unto me. And they've done that. And then he said, you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he says, you take, you rehearse these words and you speak them to the children of Israel that they shall be a kingdom of priests. And the only way this would be possible was through the Lord. And we know this happened when Jesus came and died and he went in. He was our high priest. And we know this happened at Calvary. You shall be a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. Now turn with me. If if you will. If you want. To the book of Corinthians. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians. He just said you shall be a holy nation. He didn't say try to be. He said you will be a holy nation. In 1 Corinthians. The third chapter. 1 Corinthians 3. The apostle Paul. Just tells us like this. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, 
Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, just if you have your Bible, just turn over a few, just probably just one page. He basically quotes the same thing again in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says it like this, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. And listen at this, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now he's telling, he says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, as the old saying goes, you don't need a commentary for that. God says, you are the temple of God. Now, what we have to understand is that word temple, if you go back and look what it means in the Old Testament, that temple, what it meant was, you in the Greek, that meant the holy of holies. And to me, that is... That is truly remarkable to me, I promise you. Because when you look at in the Old Testament, God would even only allow the high priest to go in the Holy of Holies one time of year. And that's one man. One man. One time of year. And God said, I'm going to take my spirit and I'm going to put it in you. You have what was equivalent to the Holy of Holies dwelling in us. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, the comparison that I want to make with that, and, and don't get, I want you to follow me and follow me closely. The Bible takes in what I want to do, that's what I'm saying. This is the comparison that we have to make. There were some people is all over the map with this. Some would say it does not matter how you, how you act. You can accept the Lord, then whatever you do say from then on, it does not matter. All we have is the Bible, and that's what we have to go with. So I want you to turn with me and turn with me to um, turn with me to Second Samuel. Let's look at Second Samuel six. And I know you've heard of this. You've heard of this where Yuza was struck dead. But I want to, I want you to look at it with me. The Bible tells us that David at this time was king. What he's doing as king, he wants to bring the ark home. Now the ark where God's, where, is where God said, I will meet with you between the cherubims. The ark was the, literally the presence of God. So David wanted to bring that ark home. So here is David. He's taken... And he's king. He's got the most sacred object they'll ever have. They'll ever see. They can't touch it. That they'll ever possess is the Ark of the Covenant. And it's natural for him want to bring it home. So in the fifth chapter, excuse me, in the sixth chapter, the fifth verse, the Bible says it like this. Second Samuel 6, chapter, the fifth verse. And David and all the house of Israel played, therefore, played before the Lord all the manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on the harps and on the psalteries and on the timbrels and the cornets and the cymbals. Now, 
They're just having a party. This deserves the very best of what we have. Now, David is doing this. I don't know why he's doing it this way. Now, and when, verse 6, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand um, to the ark of God um, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Now, the Bible says that he took a new uh, a new cart to put the ark on, and he's going to transport it. In verse 7, I'll go ahead and read it. And the, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him therefore for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. Now, God said, you are the temple. What they're moving is equivalent to what we possess. God said, my presence is equivalent in the ark. It housed the presence of God. God has told them how to move it. Them four rings on the side of that ark is not for decoration. Now, here's Yuza. But here's the thing. Yuza is a Levite. He knew better than what he was doing. And it required the poles to slide through there. And the Levitical priesthood had to put that on their shoulders and carry it. He knew this. I do not know if if it was because David was king and he said, David said, let's do this. Let's put it on a new cart and let's carry this ark and it's just going to be that way. I don't know. But here is this man that knew better. You do not mess with a most sacred object you got in this manner. So therefore, the oxen stumble. But what I want to draw your attention to is this. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor. Now, what does God always make an analogy to? I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff. So that just, that just jumped out at me. God said, you know what? Go ahead and do this wrong. I'll let you get as far as the threshing floor and then I'm going to stop it. And where I separate the wheat from the chaff, it's where I'm going to stop this party. I told you the Levitical priesthood was to carry this on their shoulders and you go ahead and do it like you want, but I will put a stop to it. And it will be at the threshing floor. For I told you, you separate the wheat from the chaff and therefore they took and the Bible tells us that Yusa died by the ark by the very most precious thing they would ever possess, he died by the ark, by the threshing floor. He knew better than to put his hand. It wasn't like David just picked somebody out of the crowd. He took a Levitical priesthood Levite to walk around the ark. They said that they had him walking by the ark. He was so close that he could put his hand there. Now, why David did this, I do not know. I do not know the reason for it. But that I do know. God says, I have given you the commandment. You knew better than this. And that's why I'm saying, this is what we have to look at. This, God said, don't think I come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. This is what we have to look at. God said, go ahead. If you think you can do it wrong, 
go ahead. I'll separate it. I'll separate the wheat from the chaff, and I'll do it. So he takes, and he comes to the threshing floor. He put his hand forth to steady the ark. I'm telling you, a good intention costs that man his life. But the man knew better. It is those that just said, well, they're a good person. What would God do with them? I can't, I can't say. But I tell you what can say, and it's this word. This word is what can say. And I'll say it a hundred times. We're not the benchmark. This word is the benchmark. And no matter what they say, let no man deceive you. And that includes me. This has got to be the benchmark on what we judge our life after. And he says, you are the temple of God. You are going to be the one. You are responsible to judge what happens in your life and what is being told to you. You have to measure. Because here is a Levite that knows better. And he is being told by the king that we're going to set this uh, ark on a new cart. Oh, it's a new cart, so that makes it all right. No, it wasn't all right. But God said, go all right. I know where this man's threshing floor. It's right down the road here. And I'm going to let you go till we get the threshing floor. And we're going to stop it. Well, they did. God did. He stopped it. He separated. And we say, well, that seemed awful cruel to me. No, it don't. God has rules and regulations. And they are for everyone. No one, no one, no one can get away with it. That is just not the case. So when he just, I'm telling you, it just seemed natural. It just, we can't go by just good intentions of what we think. What seemeth right. The Bible tells us what seems right to us is probably going to be wrong. That's why we have to base it on the Bible. Because if we're standing there, and if we're, use a new better, but if we was just standing there, and the ark's coming by, and it stumbles, and we see this most sacred object. It's instinct to try to, it can't hit the dirt. We have to put our hand up. And God says, you don't touch this. It's sacred. It is sacred. So here is this Levite that puts his hand out. And that's the point I'm driving home. He was a Levite. And at the threshing floor, God said, I am stopping this. And he did. And from that day, that, that's the day that the Bible says, literally, you can read it, that David was scared of the Lord. The sad thing about it, it took a death. It took a death to get David's attention. Because they are messing with the most sacred object that they literally had. And the Bible says, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that temple is the Holy of Holies. That is why. When somebody says, well, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. I've accepted Christ. And no matter what I do or say from here on out. Don't convince yourself of that. We have to go by what the Bible says. We are not trying to make it so hard. We are not trying to say the reason God gave us grace it's because we deal with the most sacred object on planet earth in our flesh. That is why we need grace. Because if we didn't have grace, we wouldn't have nobody on planet earth. Because we have touched the most sacred thing that we could come in contact with. And we would be like user. We would be dead. Literally. 
But God gave us grace. He gave us grace because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And God said, I will give you grace that you can cope with that. So when you do wrong, I'll give you space to repent. Not just so you can go out and do anything you want. Paul said, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He said, that's not the case. So he took and literally what he seemed all right, whether it was his thinking, David's thinking, that's beside the point. The law was wrote. The law was clear. You do not touch the ark. That was sacred and holy unto God. And then he took and he did, and God was swift, and judgment came. Now, that was what he done. He said, and he done that, and he tells us, now that is, I know I'm looking at this as a negative way, but there's a positive side. I'm saying the most precious thing they had, God instills in us. That is truly awesome to me, that God would love us enough to plant his spirit in us and make us that temple that one time of year that they could go into. Now we can have his presence dwelling in us. And then there's said, you are bought with a price. If you ever like that, go read of the crucifixion, read of the life of Christ and the sufferings that he went through and everything that the Lord entailed and all his purposes. Because when you read from Genesis all the way through, it just everything about the Lord, when he says, I brought you unto myself, just literally everything, the cities of refuge, everything was done for a purpose and a reason was just for mankind to have access and availability unto God. Everything was done for that. In the book of Luke, I want you to turn with me. In Luke, the 18th chapter, in Luke 18, it talks about the, the rich young ruler. There was, um, in Luke 18 and 18, the Bible says, there was um, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest, why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All of these I have kept for my youth up. And Jesus heard these things. And said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now when he came unto the Lord, he called him good master. Now I've read where where Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. The Jews believed that you didn't do this, that you didn't call a rabbi good, good master, because they literally believed, as the Lord quoted here, there's only one that is good, and that's God, that you didn't call a rabbi good. They mean, they believed that that the rabbis did not believe that you put that title on a rabbi, that, that literally, as God quoted, that there was only one good, and that is God. 
But what God didn't do is tell him not to call him that. But anyway, he said, thou knowest the commandments. And anyway, what he quoted to him, what you could say is the second table of the law. But what the man tells him, he said, look, I've kept all of these from my youth up. But Jesus, when he'd heard these things, he said, but you lack one thing. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you're going to have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But I believe what Jesus was trying to tell him, he was making it about his treasure to get to the point that it's your heart, what I really want to talk about. And the young man was just saying, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he's very rich. God taught, now, do I really believe that God wanted literally to go sell everything he had? Well, well, we'll never know because the young man didn't do it. But really and truly, do I really believe that God literally wanted him to sell 